Hi everyone, welcome to White Coats of the Round Table. My name is Mike Asbeck and I'm here with John McDonald. We are a healthcare podcast that discusses non-clinical roles, career development, and burnout prevention. John, it's been a month since you and I have recorded together. We've been very busy, so good to have you back and good to be with you. That is been a whole month. I know I missed you. Yeah, I haven't like I yes, I said it last podcast that I missed the breaks because I'm all gas. And so I'm, I'm, it's really nice to have you back, but it's, it feels like I just got my brakes changed, but not at a place like Monroe Muffler. They don't you know, like it, work. Not to uh, give listeners too much of a love fest, but I do agree. It really, the past month where just our schedules didn't align, and I'm very appreciative that we can both maybe carry the show when needed on an, on our own, but it does give me an appreciation for just the, the complimentary relationship that we have in this business, where I think it's really, really nice to have you because I'm boring and you are generally the life of the the podcast. And I've heard that from many people. So thank you to all of you who reached out to tell me how boring I am. And similarly, I, I like to think that I provide some level of, uh, of the research side of things. And I like to be a little bit more serious and I think it's good balance. So yeah. I, uh, I'm happy for that. I will say that when you talked about having to run a podcast by yourself, it is it's strange to have to talk for work yep. 30 minutes straight. Into I, nowhere. I did right? 40. When I was done, I, was, I surprised when I stopped. I think it was like 48 minutes. But yeah, I, it's nice to talk to somebody rather than to myself. Yeah. yeah. By the way, I thought that was great. So I, I want to tell you and listeners that after I listened last week, I was doing some 478 breathing. So I forget where I was, but I was... Not having anxiety, but I was having difficulty focusing on a task when, mm-hmm. I, oh, I was trying to finish up an article that I'm writing and I've been procrastinating on it. And ADD was kicking in majorly. So I stopped. I did a couple four, seven, eight breathing. Heart rate slowed down. Mm-hmm. Mind got more focused. And it really was quite helpful. So I wanted to to give you some props on that because it, it's something that I've already been utilizing and seeing some success with it. So it's really fun. Yeah. And it does take practice too. So practicing breathing like that although you may be doing it correctly it does take some time for your body to even just get used to what that is supposed to trigger in your in your body so it's something you do get better at so anybody else who's listening out there and you didn't like it the first time try it a few more times it does take a bit of time absolutely so today's an off script if you already can't tell we're we're kind of a little bit more relaxed and for listeners that may be new to the show we like to do these off script formats where they're unedited, more of just us kind of hanging out and having more conversationally engaged topics. So, John, today, we before we came on air, we were talking about what we wanted to do today. And recently, we put up a post on LinkedIn that was really quite interesting. It was a Would You Rather Healthcare Edition. And I really like this as an off-script topic. We try and pick things that are a singular discussion prompt that we can maybe dive into. So here's my question for you today for the episode. Would you rather work in a healthcare job that provides you stable pay, stable benefits, but limited upward mobility? Or would you rather take a job that is riskier, but has higher upside? Mm. So do you want to take a crack at it, or I can maybe give you my thoughts on it? I, I'll, I will start off the thought because I think it does change. And it's multidimensional. So... I would say that Dream John, the the first that my <laughs> wife and I um, have have thought up, 
and characterized is the type of John who knows what he wants if he had all the time and the money in the world. Okay. So Dream John absolutely wants something that's riskier. Uh, he wants somebody or he wants a job that uh, the the world is its oyster because I like doing different things. I like moving tracks. I don't like having to, I don't want to get the gold watch at the end of my career and say, thank you for 50 years of work. Like, no, no, I, I don't want to work in the cog as a cog in the machine. I want, I want to do something that seems fun to me. This is the caveat is in reality, we all have these options to do this. And I have a family. I'm married. I've got four children. Uh, and stability sounds really, really nice when you're in that spot, right? Uh, when you have other people relying on you and you don't know what the the end of your dream could be, it, it, could, be, it could be a mess or you could be successful. So it probably helps me sleep better at night having that stability in the safe, the safe job for sure. Uh, and that's why I'll start off with just saying that that's where I'm at right now. And we could talk a little bit more about where I would like to be, but I want to hear what you have to say first. I like the idea of splitting this question into two parts of where we are currently at, or maybe what the realistic answer is for us right now versus aspirationally what we yeah. want it to be. Cause I, I think that is good to delineate that. I think from my end, I would say I'm trying my best in my career to have a foot in both camps. Mm. So I am generally someone who always wants to be challenged from a career perspective. I want, you know, I always am looking for that next hill to climb or that next thing to conquer. But I've also been at the same company for 11 years and if a lot of stability in my day job. And I interviewed for several years ago, I interviewed for an MSL job. I was considering leaving clinical work to go into industry and ultimately decided against it because I wasn't ready to leave clinical job, a clinical job. I really love my patients, but I also was freaked out by the idea of becoming an MSL and then, you know, going to a company, having a bad quarter and then getting laid off and potentially having, you know, extended periods of unemployment um, I think, you know, with a lot of healthcare professions, you know, our incomes are such that, you know, unemployment is not necessarily going to replace income. So it could right. be stressful if you are out of a job for three months and looking. And that freaked me out. Like you said, you know, married with kids, have a mortgage, have car payments and, you know, obligations and responsibilities that the stability of things I think is really necessary. Mm -hmm. Now, the flip side to that, though, is, as I said, I've been trying to kind of make my life into a hybrid. I am not salaried at my job. I am productivity based. So I eat what I kill here. I just get a, a chunk of, you know, what I generate in revenue and they just give that back to me. And that's great because it has higher upside, but it does carry higher risk. So in 2020, you know, when the COVID hit our sense, you know, patient numbers initially in those first few months in 2020, before we figured out telemedicine and all that dropped down. And it was a little bit stressful because mm -hmm. my consulting work was drying up because of the pandemic. My primary day job was drying up because patients were just not coming into the office to be seen. So there was definitely a little bit of 
uncertainty there. And thankfully, we budget, you know, very conservatively knowing that my income is highly fluctuant. Mm -hmm. But there was more risk. And usually the high upside of the higher the the risk is worth it. But in 2020, it was a really nice reminder that that increased risk also does have downside and can potentially be there. And you don't, you know, always want to assume that everything's going to be sunny and rosy. So I think it's it's something where I agree. I I think everyone loves the idea of joining a you know small little biotech startup, getting stock options, and then becoming a millionaire. And I know several people that have done that. They you know were MSLs and joined a company before the drug got FDA approval, got stock options, and then instantaneously the drug got approved and they became multimillionaires and they're right. set for life. But for every person that becomes a millionaire in a small biotech startup, there's probably five or six people that join small biotech startups, maybe are taking a lower compensation package because they're getting stock options that have high upside, and then the company goes under because the drug never gets FDA approval. What's the um, percentage? I think it's nine out of 10. Yeah. Um, right. Investigational drugs never make it even to market. Exactly. So- it's it's cool and exciting, but you know I think for those entrepreneurial people that are joining, you know these startups or having these these jobs that have very high upside, those are probably people that even in their own careers have had several career you know failures where maybe they've been with a company that didn't make it. So it's really impressive for these people that have very high risk tolerance, but also something that I think freaks me out, freaks you out when we're in a position where we need to make sure that we can still pay the mortgage every month. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To piggyback off of that, that idea. So we do have, I mean, look, we do have 40 hour week jobs. Although you are 1099, it's, you have an office space, you have a company that would probably transition back over to W2. I'm sure if they, if you so desired, but let's just say for, for, uh, craps and giggles, that you and I have a W-2 fully insurance funded job uh, with a 401k. Now, because we are working 40, 50 hours a week, we and we still do our businesses on the outside, we are afforded the opportunity to have our feet in both worlds without the risk. With less risk, I would say. Okay, so yeah. with less risk. However, just because there's not a financial parachute that we're, we're waiting on, we do, we're, we're paying the cost, uh, the opportunity cost, family time of leisure, hobbies, um, other, maybe other potentials, getting jobs elsewhere, whatever it is, we, there's that opportunity cost. So we are risking something and right now in our life, we both have really young kids and I value the time with them more now than ever, uh, especially as fathers. Now, mothers are going to have probably a little bit different of a viewpoint on this, but fathers, we, it, sometimes it takes us a while to find the joy and I want to, I want to say miss, misspeak here, not purpose, but acclimate to the family life of seeing how important it is for your children for you to be as present as possible i mean there's books there's millions of books out there explaining to fathers how to be more present and so i think it took me a little bit of time 
to recognize that, oh my, oh my God, having kids, it's not just that it's so much work and you're so tired. Now you have a little human you're trying to form, uh, guide their, guide their thinking patterns, guide, uh, their their place in life so it just took me a while to get to that point to see like i actually value being home with my family now but i'm taking some of that time away to see if our dream would work mike and so although we're not taking a risk in the traditional sense we are definitely paying for it so i uh, i don't know if we've talked about it on air but i'm a huge fan of scott galloway he's got a great podcast it's the Prop G podcast for anyone out there. I'm going to give it a plug. But he talks a lot about the opportunity cost of success and how, you know, very often people have this expectation that they're going to be in the top 1%. You know, they want to be wildly successful. They want to make all this money, but also at the same time, maybe don't recognize or are unwilling to make the sacrifice to get there. So typically to, you know, if you're going to be in the top 1%, of your field or, you know, even more broadly in America, if you want to have that level of career economic success, I think for most, it's going to require sacrifice. Maybe there's some people out there that are so immensely talented that they can work 40 hours a week. They can have good work-life balance and still achieve that success. But for most, it comes at sacrifice. So I, I would give an example that if you want to be, you know, the best neurosurgeon that you can be, that is not something that you can do without sacrifice. You know, the the residency is long. The hours worked are going to be immense. You're going to be on call. You're going to be called in on weekends, on nights. It's going to take away from family time. It's going to take away from your social or leisure pursuits. But that's a sacrifice that, you know, most neurosurgeons will make because they want to be excellent at their craft. Now, the key with this is not to say that everybody should sacrifice, right? It's that everybody's going to have a different balance. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I have friends that, you know, are major, major consultants in industry that are making quadruple the money that I make and they're having immense career success, but it's also coming at a high cost. They're, you know, on the road and, you know, in hotels, 150 nights a year. And that's a really, really tough lifestyle. So, I think as we're talking about this, it's also that opportunity cost that you discussed that it's really important that everybody as a healthcare professional think about, you know, am I happy with where I'm at in terms of pay? Am I happy with where I'm at in terms of work-life balance? Am I able to pursue, you know, hobbies, activities outside of work that bring me joy? And if you want to have more career success, if you're looking to add on more things, it will come at a cost. It will be something where you'll have to balance and just making sure that you're okay with whatever that trade-off or that balance is. Mm -hmm. Because there's plenty of people out there that work 50 hours a week and are still very intentional in their home life. They are still able to pursue hobbies or have you know those quality things. But everybody is going to have that different balance where if that balance is out of whack, I think that's where burnout can occur. So... I think the the exercise of the game, would you rather, is not necessarily an exercise in how can we learn from each other. Sometimes, I would say, at least in my perspective, from my perspective, it's more about how can we, how can we identify how other people think, and even just the enjoyment of seeing the desires of other people compared to what, because you live in your own box, so. 
for example, I have, I work with this wonderful pharmacist. Uh, he, you never have to tell him to do something. He's always doing something that helps push the department and the team in a positive direction. Uh, little projects like, um, recapping the new CDC guidelines for this new vaccine that pharmacists can get, let's say for as an example, he'll laminate it, he'll memorize it, he'll he'll teach everybody else what to do. And that's not in his job profile. It's just something that that he likes to do. And I had asked him, hey, do you want to do anything else? Or because he has been in the same pharmacy for 18 years. That's a long time. Uh and it was difficult for me to grasp his answer because it was like, I'm fine. This is what I want to do. And it's, it's the, it's the joy of seeing that other people can live very different lives, have different aspirations and you, maybe even to the opposite of, of your strengths. And they're fine with it. They're happy with it. And if that's where you are, like, okay, like, that's the point of this podcast really is to guide you towards happiness uh, and well-living. So that's what I find strange though, Mike, is I have such a drive to do stuff. I have so many dreams that when I see somebody who is just satisfied, it blows my mind. But and that's what I'm looking for, right? I'm just like, hey, where, where can I be most satisfied? What's going to make me feel like I've put the the right amount of effort in for the right we'll say payout however we want to view that i it's just not been a part of my life to be in that position where i'm just okay here we go we're, we're okay doing this for 20 years those people are out there though yeah i think it's it's really wonderful if people for people that have that that satisfaction mm-hmm. I, I guess that's the best word for it especially in healthcare, where I think the longer that you're in a role, the more proficient you become at it. Mm -hmm. So as the rest of the world becomes maybe more accepting of job hopping, healthcare is still a field that I feel very strongly that if you're moving from job to job every two years or three years, I forget what uh, the statistics are in terms of job movement, that it's really probably going to be hard for you to become a master of your craft. So I think for people that... in Physicians, I think, very often fall into this where you spend, you know, 15 years learning your craft, becoming a a really a subject matter expert in your little slice of the clinical world. And then typically, you know, those people may stay just in a role as a clinician, you know, working as an internist, working as a surgeon and doing that for the next 30 years. And I want to always be careful that we're not being too you know, much hustle culture in the sense of, okay, what's next? What's next? Because mm-hmm. if you are, you know, good at what you do, especially in healthcare, you can make such an immense difference. If you are the best surgeon that you can be, you will probably be saving more lives than someone who is maybe only an average surgeon. So if every single person in healthcare is constantly looking for the next thing, I think that would be incredibly destabilizing for the entire industry because we aren't going to have a good quality healthcare system if every single person is constantly looking to switch jobs or switch roles every two years. 
So I think you're right in the sense that, you know, the theme today, but the theme of the podcast more broadly is you need to figure out your path as an individual because everybody's going to be different. Some people are going to need a non-clinical role to, to find satisfaction and that's fine. We don't want people that are unhappy in clinical settings to think that this is all there is to their career. But the flip side to that is we want to celebrate and embrace the people that are happy with their clinical role and make sure that if you're happy as a clinician, that your career is supported and there's nurturing and things Mm. that you can do to make sure that you continue to find that fulfillment and joy in your current role. Well, we both have four boys. And if we were to say all the boys were the same, we would be deathly wrong. So true. Right? So uh, I've got one kid who would be happy being outside the whole day, never come inside, pig, you know, look like pig pen, which they normally do coming back, coming back inside. <laughs> uh, but then I have on the opposite end, another one of my children who, if he never stepped outside again in his life, he would be okay just sitting, reading a book or iPad or just being by himself. Uh, he's completely self-sufficient in, in that sense where we don't punish our children and we don't say you need to be, you know, doing this more, but you have to, you should like being outside more and you should like reading more. It's like, no, some, some people just have their, their nat- natural personality, personalities and characteristics. Same thing with, with our careers. Some people are just comfortable where they're at and they shouldn't be punished for that. That's a wonderful thing. I even I saw something about Japan and they we, they mentioned how how different Japan is and their workforce how in the states we're always constantly looking for our dream what's our mm-hmm. dream but it's it's kind of archaic in the way how Japan looks at it it's almost like you pick a trade of sorts and you stay in that career until you age out and you don't switch out around in your industries, but that's why you have these folks who are the masters of their industry because they've been mm-hmm. doing it since they, they're 16, 17 years old and never switch disrespectful and um, dishonorable. Just switch around like that in the culture. So not punished at all, but that's how they excel in some of these areas, especially in the technology space too, I'm here. So yeah, I, I, that's all to say that it's easy to look at the person who has the speaking parts in the play and wish to be that person because they're out front. But sometimes when you are out front, you realize that it's not really where you want to be, that you're much more comfortable and do a better job at being a stagehand or being a supporting role. And you're actually probably much happier. So it's identifying where you are truly happy and not trying just to live in that dream space of why you wish that you could be happy in this other area. I think finding joy and finding beauty in the mundane. And that's not just for healthcare. And that's, you know, so much of life in general, mm-hmm. even just little things. My kids are now, as we're talking about kids, my kids are getting old enough now that we're starting sports and life is getting chaotic because mm-hmm. of sports. But I'm really just, I'm loving it because our life is busy, but at the same time, Sports is allowing us to rush, 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 get home, get them dinner, and then we go to soccer practice, and then my wife or myself or even both of us just get to sit. Mm -hmm. We'll maybe take a coffee, and we get to watch our kid achieve and learn and, you know, develop into this, you know, man. 
and it's really an exciting thing. And there's a lot of beauty in that, even just the mundane of going to soccer practice and sitting for an hour where I'm really just loving the, the forced quiet that comes with that in that one hour that we're just sitting there. I want to shift, go ahead. And then I, I want to shift this one last thing and then yeah. can shift is I also heard a great saying and something that seems to be a mantra the past few days is don't mistake peace for boredom. And that hit home for me because I constantly think when I, when things are too quiet, when things don't seem to be rushed, that I'm bored. But in, in reality, it's just that I have peace, that it's quiet and that things are done. So don't mistake your peace in your life and, and satisfaction for boredom. I think that's so true. That's great. So here's where I want to shift is I want to talk about the would you rather question, but also look at it from the sense of financial literacy or financial management. Because mm. it a statistic came across my email recently that blew my mind. It was in psychiatry. I think 31% of psychiatrists have a net worth of less than $500,000. And mm -hmm. it was something like, I think, 25% or 30% of all physicians have a net worth less than $500,000. And it blew my mind, right? Because obviously physicians have very high debt load. So that's probably what's driving it is mortgages and student loans are offsetting that. But at the same time, you know, physicians, healthcare in general, it's a career path that typically is associated with pretty healthy pay. Mm -hmm. So to have a net worth that is so low is just kind of shocking to me. And I think that ties into what we're talking about with the opportunity cost of maybe riskier jobs that have higher upside is if you are saddled with hundreds of thousands of dollars of student loans, or maybe you're in a house that you can't afford because you work in healthcare. So everyone around you is driving BMWs and Mercedes and mm -hmm. living in half million dollar homes. So you feel like you have to as well. There's a huge cost that comes with that because then when you maybe have an opportunity to go join a startup company or maybe you want to start your own practice or you want to start doing work from home telemedicine, but the pay is maybe a little bit lower, but it gives more flexibility in work-life balance, you may feel handcuffed to your current job simply because you don't have the, the financial ability to take a pay cut or to take mm -hmm. a job that maybe has less benefits or to take a job that maybe is riskier and leads to layoff three or four months down the road if it doesn't work out. So obviously it's a privileged statement to say, hey, have better financial you know, management because it'll free you up. But I think so often we don't think about our finances as necessarily being part of our career development or our career path. So I want to tie that in and maybe get your mm -hmm. thoughts on it because I think you know, on my end, my wife and I, we worked really hard and paid off our student loans within, I think, three years of graduating. And I'm really thankful we did that. Our our interest rates were low. So, you know, from a financial perspective, maybe it would have been okay to let them linger because the interest rates were low enough that it wouldn't have been a problem. But by paying them off rapidly, I think it did give us an opportunity to maybe be a little bit more aggressive in terms of risk taking with what jobs we take not have to worry as much about these these you know high debt loads that are going to prevent us from maybe taking a job that is less pay or you know cutting back hours at your day job to do more consulting things like that. Mm -hmm. 
So I do think they are tied in and it's something that we want to at least be aware of and thinking about. Oh, I'll say from, from a personal example, it's really hard to fight that urge to keep up with the Joneses in healthcare. Yes. Especially when you do, I made the, the life decision to have kids young. So when we did that, we even, my wife, just, we decided that my wife was going to stay home too. And so that took an income out of the equation. And then you have your friends who are uh, dual income, no kids, right? The the dinks. Oh, the dinks, yes. And you, even worse off, a lot of people find love in grad school and then they get married to somebody else making, uh, having the same earning potential. And so if you go in with a different family structure and come out and you try and look at somebody else's life and say, wow, like they seem to have a lot of time. They have a lot of money. They're only working 40 hours and their, their income seems to be just skyrocketing. Well, it's, we all made the different decisions. That's why this is happening. So what we did is we had, we had a, beautiful house in a, in a cul-de-sac neighborhood. Everybody's out on the lawn, you know, like clipping their grass with scissors. And it got to a point for me where I was like, you know, I know that if I stay here, I'm just going to want to match the environment around me. I'm going to want to buy this and that and change this or that with my house. So my wife and I decided to actually, uh, I don't say downgrade, but make a more financially sound decision with buying a house. So we we bought our new house. We didn't buy something brand new. We bought something that was built in the 1800s. And yeah, there's a little bit more labor with this, but financially it made such a big impact of just living below our means so that we can have that flexibility. But that's a decision you have to make. That's a hard decision you have to make is do you want to reduce your social standards or uh, your, I don't know, your the cap on your, the finances you're willing to spend on your, your abode? You might have to make those decisions and you might not want to change that, but that's where the rub is. At least from, from my perspective, I looked out there and I saw all the spending and I said, okay, I, I know that if I'm going down that route, especially with the ADHD, I'm just going to spend myself into the poor house. So, or buy rather myself into the poor house, but what's your perspective? Yeah, I, I agree. I think even within our own life, there's been maybe more opportunities that we're willing to take because of it. I mean, even just me transitioning from a salary model to a productivity model, I don't think that would have been possible without our student loans being paid off. The, we, you know, have bought a house that I think is, you know, very much within our range of affordability. We historically didn't even have car payments. We now are, you know, both of us have now had newer cars, but that is a relatively recent thing. Right. For, for several years, we drove older cars so that we could avoid car payments. And I think, you know, not as much for consulting for me because that's always been a an add-on, a, a, an above and beyond my day job. But the day job going to a productivity model. If I don't see patients, if I get sick, if I take a two-week vacation, there's no revenue coming in. I don't get PTO. I, so it is something where having a little bit more 
freedom and willingness to take risk is there because of the financial decisions or maybe the financial sacrifice that we made up front. Okay. Can I cut you off for a second? Sure. I think this is an interesting point. You Have you seen this all around TikTok or Instagram or Facebook where we have these creators talking about how the generations before us, we'll call, we'll call them the boomers, right? That's not the appropriate term, right? Uh, but that's what that's their words, not mine. The creator's words, not mine. How they'll say, you have this generation who went into the workforce within a trade or some field, and it was a handshake deal, and nepotism got them into their spot, <laughs> and rates were at an all-time low, and housing, you could buy a beautiful house for 50 grand, like brand new, you could you could fund yourself through through school. I had one, I had one gentleman I worked with when I started telling him how much because I came up with about two hundred grand in in loans, and he had the audacity to tell me that his total school cost him six grand, and he was making the same amount as me at that point. <laughs> I was like, we live in different worlds. So, back to the question. Have you heard these creators talking about how that generation looks at our generation, at least perceived uh, to be this way? And they say, why you should just be able to work your way, you know, stop buying coffee and you can afford this or that. Don't you think we're in a different, a transitional stage coming out of that pen, those pension years where it's not necessarily a clear path and what worked then doesn't necessarily work now. And we're trying to all figure it out in our generation? Yes, I think it's it's a complex question. So, you know, 35 minutes into this, we should do a whole episode on this, but mm. I don't have a ton of sympathy. And once again, this, this may be, you know, just that I can come at this from a very privileged perspective, but I, my student loans were paid off by the army. Mm -hmm. So that's not, you know, that's a, an avenue that is available to many. And I was able to fund my college because I, did the military and had to spend a year away from family as a result of it. So it came with sacrifice, certainly not as much sacrifice as others. You know, there's other people that have done more. So I'm not looking to be a victim here, but that was something, a choice that we made to make sure that we did not get saddled with student debt. I agree that I think, you know, housing is becoming more expensive and maybe that's becoming less attainable. But at the same time, our economy continues to develop and evolve where I think we are in a transition period. We are in, you know, in this really interesting place where I think power and leverage is shifting from employers to employees or mm -hmm. to the individual now where we're seeing like the gig economy continue to grow and the ability for people to work when they want to work, doing what they want to do is incredible. I, I would push back on the idea that, you know, our generations are getting screwed where previous generations had it great simply because I think, you know, 50 or 60 years ago, you know, post-World War II, yeah, a single income factory worker could own a home and maybe that home was more affordable, but also at the same time, they were never going out to eat. They were never going on vacation. If they were lucky, maybe they had one car for the entire family. They definitely did not have cable TV. They maybe didn't even have a washer or dryer. So while there's areas of life that have become harder for future generations, there's also things that have just material gains that are just incredible in terms of our quality of life and what our expectations for 
you know, a middle class existence would be. Heck, even if you go to Europe, you know, in most of Europe, middle class is very different from our definition of right. middle class in the U.S. So I, I'm sympathetic to it because housing is way more expensive. Education is way more expensive. I, I'm very libertarian, but at the same time, I believe that, you know, as a government or as a society, we should do everything and anything we can to make education free or it, at the very minimum affordable and accessible because a smarter, more well-educated society is one that, you know, becomes more productive, becomes more wealthy and ultimately pushes humanity forward. So I, I'm certainly sympathetic to that, but it's not as simple as just saying, oh, woe is me. We got screwed because, mm -hmm. you know, we also live in a world where, you know, the expectation is, is that you have a, you know, massive big screen TV, probably two cars. You know, if you're a, you know, a married family, you're going to have more than one car. You're going to have a washer and dryer, which sounds silly to say that, you know, that's something we should be grateful for. But not every country, you know, the middle class doesn't have these amenities. So I think there's a lot of nuance to that argument. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating because it's just, it's perspective. I, I don't think I'm saying, you know, hey, be grateful even if you don't own a home. That's how ownership is good. Careful about using the word yeah. perspective. Right. Yeah. Reason. So it, it is really fascinating though, because obviously things are changing and the economy and the workforce and maybe our expectations for what we can achieve in our jobs is really drastically altering. We're not working for the same employer to get a gold watch at 40 years and then retiring on a pension. But at the same time, I think the economy is maybe becoming more dynamic where there's more opportunity for entrepreneurship. There's more opportunity to maximize or leverage your compensation by doing gig work where you're not tied to just one employer and you can leverage your skills and abilities and constantly be moving up the ladder in terms of your comp. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of... Uh, upside and there's a lot of positive even if there are negatives because you know creative disruption it, it, as things evolve or change there's going to be things that change and that may be negative it's not always going to be positive there are some bills being introduced that uh when we talk about universal health care uh one of the arguments is is to in install a form of, of universal health care so as to not deny prospective employees benefits of moving between jobs because that's always a fear for anybody who is job hunting or wanting to transition is can I even do this can I do can I be risky without getting health care because that is a that is a stopgap for anybody getting into entrepreneurship I would say pro most if not all people it's got to be one of their top concerns is if I do this I know I can make enough money to have the same take home, but that's not accounting for healthcare, healthcare costs, especially if you have somebody who needs additional care at home. So I think that our world in America is changing and trying to address these issues because we know that it's not the same. So I think, I think culturally we're moving in that direction. We're all trying to understand it. But that comes with the responsibility of understanding what you actually want yourself and and having that introspection and maybe you can take some time in meditation to, to be introspective and think what's actually most valuable to me, valuable to me. Is it money? Is it the financial security? Is it freedom at home? Is it doing something that actually um, sparks creativity for me? Uh, whatever that is, it, this is just going to take introspection. And I hope that this, that's what this episode is for you is to see that the would you rather game is really an exercise in what do I find important? 
So that that's my charge to anybody listening today is take some time, settle in. And if you're struggling with the, these questions of what should I do or what do I even want to do is really think about where all of your energy is going towards. Is it going to, towards paying for nicer things? Is it going towards wanting to spend more time with your family? And that's what you should capitalize on. So I think this is a great question, Mike. It's got me thinking about some of the reasons that, that I make certain decisions I do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, maybe a little deeper than we expected it to go, but this is why I love the off script. So yeah. we're a little bit longer than we normally go on these off scripts. So hopefully we haven't bored the audience, but I think it was a really interesting discussion. Uh, as we've had this discussion, we certainly are always wanting to hear back from listeners. If these are things that you think are compelling, or if you want to shoot us a message or even go to our socials, we've had some really interesting back and forth with people on LinkedIn and certainly on Reddit and Facebook as well. So we're always looking for, you know, good feedback, good discussion. And a lot of times these discussions that we are having on these platforms with other healthcare professionals are going to stimulate episode topics or the ability for us to maybe do a deeper dive. But why don't we leave it there, John? So thank you listeners for tuning in, I guess. I don't know what podcast you call it tuning in. I'm going to, uh, yeah, whatever. Selecting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for downloading us. Maybe that, but so Thank you for listening to White Coats of the Round Table. If you like what you hear, give us a review. This is one of the best ways that people can find us. If you don't like what you hear, definitely don't review us. And as always, like, comment, share. Share us with your friends. Organic growth through word of mouth is always the best way for people to find the podcast. John, until we talk next week, great to talk to you. Great to have you back. Great to be together. Great to be together. I I would agree with that, Mike. So until next time, uh, This is White Coat to the Round Table. I'm John, and this is Mike. We'll see you next week.